time a woman called me that I have never met. She called with a question about alcohol. Not exactly sure why me. Uh, it could be that checking online, she found a, a, a voice, a perspective that she thought would be uh, agreeable with hers. And so at first she wanted to confirm that, uh, wanted to know my position on that subject. So I explained to her why I have become convinced that God's word prohibits virtually all modern alcoholic beverages. I do not deny, as you know, that there was some alcohol in the wine of the biblical period and that it was okay under particular circumstances that were prevalent in that time for God's people to, uh, to partake of that. But that modern alcoholic beverages are quite different from what was available in the first century. So I, I tried to summarize that fairly briefly for her on the phone. And she said, good. Now, let me tell you a problem I'm having with a friend of mine at my church. She doesn't drink, but she goes to restaurants that serve alcohol. She says, I am just uh, aghast at that. And I tried to explain to her that she is, by doing that, she is supporting establishments that benefit from the sale of alcohol. I don't think that's right, she concluded. And, and then added in that, I'm not sure I can keep being this woman's friend. Don't you agree with me? Well, I thought that was a good example of a common problem that exists among God's people. We see an issue, we draw a conclusion, and have a real hard time understanding why everybody doesn't draw exactly the same conclusion. So we let our personal perspective, our personal preferences on particular issues uh, to cause strife and sometimes even division within the church family. Somehow we struggle to distinguish between what God says is sinful and what we think is bad. Of course, a lot of time, everything sinful is also bad, but there may be some things that are not sinful, but they sure seem bad to me. And I don't think anybody else ought to be doing that. Well, Paul has just finished, well, really through the previous 13 chapters, but that last paragraph in chapter 13, making it clear that all God's people are obligated to keep all God's commandments. When God gives a command, that's not something that we decide, ah, am I going to keep that or not? And when there is a, a, a difference of, of practice in a matter of clear command of God's word, that does require some steps some steps on the part of a person who loves the person who says, yeah, I know that's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. 
a love that says, but I, I care too much for you just to let you get away with that. And so you talk to that person, you confront that person in love, and in some cases that, that could lead all the way to presenting it to the whole church, let the church decide, and if the church agrees, yeah, that is wrong and you can't continue that and be a member here at our church. That's what we usually refer to as church discipline. It can lead all the way to that, and that's just an indication of how important it is that God's people as a whole and as individuals agree, I am going to obey everything that I see in God's word. That still, though, within all that scripture reveals, leaves some room for some differences of perspective among God's people because God's word doesn't answer all our questions. It leaves the room open for some differences among God's people. Uh, and, And many times these are in very practical areas. What may seem very obvious to you might not be apparent at all to somebody else because you are drawing a particular conclusion. It seems logical to you that this would be right, but you don't have any passage of Scripture that addresses that particular topic. So how should we respond when people are equally committed to obeying God's Word? And of course, that's a huge assumption— That isn't true of all of God's people. But among those who are equally committed to obedience, what happens? How should we respond when such people disagree, draw a different conclusion? What would we like? How would we like to respond? Well, we would like to have everybody agree with me. (laughs) Why can't you see it my way? Why can't we all just see it that way? I think there's an important reason why we don't. Romans 14 addresses this issue. It's going to help us understand as we work our way through the chapter why it might be that God didn't just settle every issue, make everything crystal clear in Scripture, why did he leave some areas where there can be a different perspective among people that are equally committed to God's word? But the fact is, from our passage today, he does allow differences. What his reasons for that, we'll save that for the next passage. But that God allows differences among his people put some pressure on how we think about those who might differ from us. What's that pressure? And on this passage, God issues a command. You must accept fellow believers as they are. They may well have room to grow. They may well have room to change, as do we. And yet there's a command here, accept them as they are with these differences 
among us. Let's get into this passage. Beginning in verse 1, Paul's uh, choice of wording here makes it clear he's changing topic from where he's been in chapter 13, and that's in the words translated as for. I've got another thing in mind that you need to know about as well, and he's pretty much going to stay on this general topic, not just through chapter 14, but well into chapter 15 as well, letting us know that the as for new topic is something that we really need some help with. As chapter 12 opened by telling us a lot of our time of, of growing in Christ is learning how to think more like he does. We need to think on this topic. What's the topic? He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over his opinions. And already there's a command here. Welcome him. A welcome that means not just we'll tolerate you uh, if you want to be here among us, but that we welcome you. We want you here. We, we are ready to issue a warm reception to you. We want you to be part of us. There's the first command. Welcome him, but not to quarrel over his opinions. Let me reword that a little bit. Let your brother hold his own standards. Now, I feel the need to remind us all again that we're talking about areas where God has not issued commands. He has let us have some wiggle room here. It, 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 sometimes this would be referred to as a gray area. Sometimes God has deliberate, I'm convinced, deliberate gray areas because a little variety would actually be healthy for God's people. We can have a wider impact on the community by not all of us being exactly the, the very same. I think there could well be some, uh, some usefulness to, this, uh, to these differences. But let your brother hold his own standards. Uh, don't criticize his scruples. Don't, don't be uh, negative toward the things that uh, might not be uh, quite up to speed. Uh, again, outside that category of disobedience to clear commands. But Paul refers to the people he has in mind here by a particular label. He calls them the weak. What could Paul be referring to by the weak among us? Nobody carries a sign that identifies themselves that way. I suspect that if God issued such a sign, you still need to wear this for a while, uh, we'd forget and leave it home. Uh, we don't think of ourselves that way. I, I, I was fascinated by a poll I heard one time that revealed, I'm not going to remember exactly what the percentage was, but it's something like 80% of people consider themselves above average. <laughs> Somebody's not perceiving reality there, and uh, we may well be among them. 
But the weak here represent likely individuals that, have, that are fairly recent to the faith or for whatever reason maybe haven't grown to the pace that we might have expected by now. And there can be lots of factors there. There are lots of things that we do that can slow down our progress in growing in the Lord. And so someone might have a period of time where they're just uh, kind of like not really walking with the Lord. That's going to slow down their progress. But the reality is, as they come to us, they're weak. They're, they, they need to grow in certain areas. And see, if, it's a, if it we're talking about a new believer, we may even need to give them a little slack about some areas of disobedience of actual commands. It's not possible for a person to, to grasp and digest everything that God expects in the first week of coming to know Christ. This is going to take some time. And the Holy Spirit is generally a better director of what needs attention next than we might be. So you give them time. All right, someday we're going to need to work on that, but let's, let's accept them now as they are. But we're not in the category of disobedience. We're in the category of the gray area. And so verse 1 is really saying, accept believers who are doubtful. Paul's got some particular things in mind here, and he's going to get more specific in the next verse. But the weak here are people that, not that they're thinking, well, I think that's okay, so I'm still engaging in that activity. It's, it's actually the opposite. It's someone who comes, and they've got their, their own set of scruples from prior experience that makes them think, well, I... I see other believers doing that. I'm not sure they ought to be doing that. The weak person here in this case is someone who, uh, and again, because of, of a lack of, of, a, of a clarity of what God might reveal on that topic, is being careful, maybe overly careful about that. So some are hesitant that they are weak, this is a word that is often translated in many other contexts as just uh, sick and needing recovery. Weak and needing to grow stronger. And so that has brought them to a point of being hesitant. They are impaired in some way, and that impairment may primarily focus on They just don't know enough of God's word yet. And that shows up in the example that Paul's about to introduce. So some are hesitant. And the differences here that Paul has in mind are really insignificant. This is not something that he's he's suggesting you may ever need to instruct this person about. Just let it go because it really doesn't matter. There's room for this diversity. So some are hesitant, the weak, but who is Paul addressing? A weak person comes in and he says, you need to welcome them. Who are the you here? Well, all the way in chapter 1, excuse me, all the way forward into chapter 15, 
Paul is going to put a label on this group, but he's not doing it at all in chapter 14. And you probably know what that label is, because we tend to import chapter 15's word into chapter 14. In chapter 15, this category is called the strong. And the strong have particular responsibilities in all of these areas. But Paul doesn't call them the strong here. It's just everybody else. I think that's important for us to understand here because the strong almost sounds like, to us, those that have arrived. Those that are there, and they've got a grasp on everything. But that Paul is putting off that terminology because we don't have a grasp on everything. Everybody else who's not in the category of weak still has room to grow. And not just a little bit either. We've got room to grow a bunch. I am the strong. That would be a a problem attitude. I may be not as weak as this other person, but I sure got my weaknesses too. This person isn't somebody who has it all figured out. He's on top of it. It's just he's made more progress in the past. And so in comparison to the weak, the weak are hesitant. Well, I'm not sure. I've got, my background says, I'm not sure that's a good activity for Christians to be engaged in. But the strong are confident. Yeah, I've I've examined what scripture says on this, and, and it's okay. It really is all right. And they're confident about that. They have clearer biblical insight. That's the person God says has to take the initiative here. Someone comes in and you come to find out, oh, they're not quite on top of things here. They don't understand quite what I do. I'll welcome them and I'll do my best to straighten them out. No, you don't. That's not what he's saying in verse 1. Welcome them, yes but not to quarrel over opinions. You can identify that this particular issue is not something that rises to the level of significance. It is something that that just doesn't matter. Then you let that go. You don't make a mental note, but I'm going to work on that later. No, I'm going to let that go. Leave that in the Lord's hands, and in the meantime, I welcome you. I welcome you warmly. What does Paul have in mind here? His example in verse 2 that he's going to pursue then uh, in the following verses, even into the next passage, this is very helpful. What kind of things would fit into this category? Well, as he goes on in verses 2 and 3, to say, accept believers who are different. Different in what way? Well, here's an example. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. By far, the majority of interpreters, the Bible scholars, on this example, think they've got this figured out 
that in the church in Rome that Paul is writing to, there were some real issues dividing Jews and Gentiles. And so they identify the weak here as believers who have been converted out of Judaism, and the strong are the Gentiles that have been converted out of paganism. And that the, gent- the Jews tend to carry into their new relationship in Christ some of the past ritualistic aspects of Jewish worship, like the dietary restrictions. It amazes me how widespread this perspective is, and they just see all through the book of Romans a problem between the Jews and the Gentiles and the church. I'm not so sure. Here's the first reason. It's the only one I'm going to share with you now, but the, the first one, I think, is the clearest one. Jewish people are not vegetarians. Okay, there are a lot of categories of meat they can't eat. And all those are, elucidate, uh, are, are listed there for us in the, uh, in the Old Testament. They have to have a hoof, the animal, and it has to chew the cud and so forth. So there are some things they can't eat, but there are lots of other things that are on the menu. They are never commanded to be vegetarians. Okay, well, Paul knows the terminology that describes the uh, Jewish dietary restrictions, and vegetarian is not one of them. I think Paul's got something quite distinct in mind here, and the advantage for us is that we don't happen, and and we're not isolated here in this, uh, most of the churches uh, uh, in, in God's domain today do not have a particular problem between Jews and Gentiles. I mean, it's so much so that we can even very easily lose track of who is a Jew among us? Uh, Who is a Gentile? We don't even think in those terms, hardly. That's not a problem here. That's not a division issue for us. But these other things are. Someone who thinks not... We have a lot of people that uh, are perhaps vegetarians in our world today, in our church family. But they're not saying, oh, it's because the Bible says so. It's because they've been convinced it's healthier, at least for them individually, with whatever condition they might have. Fine. Okay. But if somebody says, I think we should all be eating vegetables because of something uh, religious, something scriptural behind it, then that's the issue Paul has in mind here. And I understand, we don't have that either. We don't have people crusading, saying, uh, we all need to be, nobody is volunteering to teach us an adult summer elective why everybody should be eating vegetables. We haven't had anybody volunteer for that. And if we did, I don't think they'd be getting the opportunity. Uh, Romans 14 would put a uh, uh, would make that a, 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 a non-viable lesson that we want taught here. But we can easily imagine this. I really think we all ought to just be eating vegetables. And the other person says, oh, no, don't be trying to take away my steak. 
uh, my hamburger. So the church includes a variety of viewpoints here. The issue with the weak in this case is that they have to stay on the safe side of things. The weak is doubtful. He's hesitant. He's not sure, whereas the other person is sure. And he may be well aware of what Mark records for us in his seventh chapter as Christ was teaching about the subject of purity, and he made a statement that caused all the Jews around him to look at him like, what? He said, the food you eat does not affect your heart. And Mark adds an editorial comment on the end of that verse, which, of course, he wrote many years later. But he, the church had come to realize by the day Paul, by the time that Mark wrote this, that when Christ said that, he cleansed all foods. Even the Jewish dietary restrictions are now off the table. And it seems that uh, God confirmed this to Peter, uh, recorded in Acts chapter 10, as he saw this great sheet, as you remember, full of all kinds of animals, and many of them were unclean by Jewish standards. And God said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter was hungry, but God actually wasn't trying to satisfy his hunger at that moment. He was trying to teach him a spiritual lesson about accepting Gentiles into the church. A very important lesson for Peter and for the whole church. But you see, God couldn't use that example. He couldn't issue the command, rise, kill, and eat, if it wasn't okay for Peter to do so. That's the second confirmation that the Jewish dietary standards do not apply in the church age. All right? Not everybody knows about Acts 10 and Mark 7. The weak person, he might even have read those, but he's not sure really what they mean, and he's still not convinced that it's something okay to do. So one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Verse 3 is critical now, because here the Lord forbids both sides from criticizing the other. Notice how he addresses both. Let not the one who eats, the one who's uh, planning to have roast beef this afternoon, let not the one who eats meat despise the one who abstains. The word despise here refers to looking down on somebody. Oh, the poor person. You don't know what you're missing. And along with that goes a sense of personal superiority. Don't do that. You might actually understand more than another person that doesn't make you better, that doesn't set you on a higher level. Do not despise people that draw differing conclusions, have differing practices than you have. You see that's a command? You see how clear and concise that is? 
Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. This is going beyond just don't quarrel with them. Don't look down on them. And then to address in the other direction, he says, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Passing judgment would say, sinner, you shouldn't be eating meat. Why don't you think just the way I do. Don't condemn the other. Don't criticize. Don't condescend. Don't condemn. The, the condemnation here would, would include the attitude, I think more righteous than you are. You may know more, but I'm more pure. That's exactly what Satan wants in order to engender this strife a division among God's people. The Lord forbids all such criticism. You see, he is addressing both sides. Both sides have a wrong attitude. Both sides need to make a change. And both sides need to recognize what Paul says at the end of verse 3, for the Lord has welcomed him. See, this is really a call And trying to change our thinking to correspond to God's, it's a call to follow God's example. God says, this guy's okay with me. Not that he doesn't have room to grow. Of course, we all do. But as he is, I welcome him. So you welcome him as well. This is not a person uh, about whom it is okay for you to say, all right, he can be in our church, but I don't have to sit near him. I don't have to talk to him. I don't have to invite him over to my house. Okay, how is that any different from rejecting? Doesn't sound very welcoming, does it? That's what needs to change. I have a friend that I used to have very close contact with. I don't, haven't for years now, but we lived in close proximity. And there was a difference among us. The difference was that uh, I and my family celebrate Christmas. He and his family did not. Now, this was a carryover from a previous church experience he had had, and he just got it ingrained in his mind. This is just not honoring to the Lord. And when I first got acquainted with him, we had a discussion about this. I wanted to understand his thinking. I wanted, he wanted to understand mine, and we came to the point of, all right, we're just going to have to disagree about this. Uh, we have a different perspective Uh, Neither one could say there's a clear biblical statement that regards this. And we went on for years in close connection and had excellent fellowship together. It did not have to become a point of division. We didn't have to get to the point and say, well, let's just not spend any time together. Uh, their family would make this easy on uh, everybody else that disagreed with them by every Christmas, they take a week vacation and go skiing. 
kind of sounded like a little better proposition at that point. But uh, uh, so it just, you know, he, he didn't accept invitations to come and join us for Christmas. Yeah, we're out of town that week. So he, he made this easy and, and we, we got along real well. There are some issues, I'm going to suggest a few other categories here of example, because there are some issues that in fact do have clear biblical principles and a distinct biblical command, but still scripture leaves us without any specific guidelines about how to carry it out. For instance, we've got a clear command requiring modesty among God's people. All right, we're all agreed. We have to be modest and examine our own uh, dress and comportment, make sure that we are modest. And yet, what constitutes modesty? Most of this uh, challenge falls on, uh, on the women, but... How short of a skirt is too short? How tight is too tight? Where's that in the Bible? We don't get those kind. Well, it seems to me that would be where it is. But it seems to somebody else, oh, it's a little, that's a little too high. That's a little too tight. Where's the biblical statement that settles that? It's right here. Accept the differences among you. Realize some are going to draw the line a little differently than you might. And welcome them anyway. Another example would be child discipline. We've got clear commands in God's word about the administration of instruction from a parent to a child and the application of what the Scripture calls the rod that can have many different forms, but there's a command to do that. But the actual way you carry that out and what child, child infractions require uh, the uh, child discipline in that way, uh, under what circumstances... There may be some differences among us, how this is actually carried out. And the frequency and the consistency, there may be some differences there. And that's okay. We have to accept when Scripture is lacking in specific guidelines, let people draw the line themselves. Now, it's okay to discuss it with somebody, but not for the purpose of changing and arguing their, uh, your opinion, but just calmly going through the biblical evidence and the practical ramifications. The command so far is clear, is it not? Welcome them, and then on the negative side, don't criticize. Don't let this become a point of, of, of uh, division among God's people. So if you persist in criticizing others, and this is hard, this is the point of victory this passage is looking for, and it's a challenge for us, because we still don't like it when other people are different. 
But if you persist in being critical of others, of being uh, offish with people because they're a little different from you, that may turn out to affect your relationship with God. That's verse 4. Verse 4, let your father judge his own servants. Others are accountable to him, not to you. And the Lord, God insists in first part of verse 4, knows how to assess his people. As uh, Who are you, he says in verse 4, to pass judgment on the servant of another? Let's get this all in the right perspective here. Every person that comes into our door that knows the Lord and is striving to serve him is God's servant, not yours. And God is well capable of assessing his own people and whether or not the, the choices they made are acceptable to him. Who are you to pass judgment then on the servant of another? That's a highly presumptuous attitude. Like, God, let me help you out here. You seem to be struggling with this person. You, they, you've let them get a little behind. I'll be happy to fill in the gap here for you. Really? You can do that? You know better than God? This really is designed, I think, to have us, oh, whoa, that's not what I meant. Ultimately, the Lord is the one that needs to be pleased. And approval depends on God's grace. Not your approval and not your help. So we continue in verse 4, the Lord knows how to support his people. And yes, we are talking about the weak. They need extra support. They have lots of room to grow. But the Lord knows how to do that. The Lord has a plan for each of his children about their growth and where they need to get victory and what needs to come up next. It is before his own master that he stands or falls. God is the one that determines, you know, that's actually okay. Or no, that is a problem. And God has ways through the conviction of the Holy Spirit to address the actual issues that need attention. God can make that distinction better than you can. God can use them as they are. God can overcome their weaknesses by providing more grace. As he says at the end of verse 4, it is God's approval that he requires. Whether he stands or falls depends on God's grace. But here's God's perspective. He will be upheld. He's going to make it. He's going to progress. He's going to be useful to me. Why? How can that be? For the Lord is able to make him stand. We're right back to God's grace. 
and he's going to get it. God is not going to come up short in providing his grace for those that have special need. And that's an excellent reminder for all of us. We stand on the very same basis. There aren't some that require God's grace, and the rest of us, we're strong enough, we're, we're stable enough. No, we need God's grace too. All of us too. That's the only way any of us stand. I tried to be tactful with that woman on the phone. Realized she wasn't about to hear the answer she wanted. So I I tried choosing uh, my words carefully and explain that, uh, yeah, the Bible has an explicit prohibition against drinking undiluted alcohol. The Bible is clear about that. But it doesn't say anything about eating at a restaurant that might serve alcohol to others. Oh, I could just tell she was so disturbed. So I decided to pursue it a little further. I said, by the way, it's hard to find a grocery store that doesn't sell alcohol. Do you go to such a grocery store? Well, that's different, she said. I mean, I have to have food, but you don't have to eat in a restaurant. I said, well, I don't think that's a point that God wants you to break fellowship with your friend about. She said, well, I disagree. Hung up the phone. I apparently was not tactful enough. But you know, the real The real shame of that is that her disagreement wasn't with me. Her disagreement was with God. It's one thing for her to think I'm wrong, and I can be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong on this, but (laughs) I can be wrong on things. You could disagree with me, but it's it's not okay to disagree with God. And God, it seems pretty clear here, welcome the other person and make sure you are not being critical. You don't have an agenda. All right, I'm going to welcome them. I'm going to sneak up around the backside here. I'm going to ambush them and straighten them out later. No, you're not. Don't you usurp God's role. Now, all of this is going to take real discernment. What, what activities fall into this kind of gray area? We don't even have agreement among God's people on that one. And that's where Paul is going in our passage for uh, next time. But for right now, this is enough for us to try to digest and to decide to obey. The decision God is looking here uh, to you for is you decide to accept believers that differ from you in these areas where Scripture is just not clear. That's a tough one. 
I mean, that involves admitting, God, I, I've been too narrow in my focus. Everybody's got to be like me. It's a hard thing to broaden that out and say, all right, I think that's actually okay. We can be really good fellow believers in spite of such a difference. To identify what those differences are and to make the decision to accept people that are like that. What a huge victory. What a, what a loss for Satan who would love to engender strife and division among God's people. But by God's grace, we don't need to give him that opportunity. Will you join in that? Will you ask for God's help to discern what actually is fitting into this category? And within that, God, help me to welcome people that differ. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we acknowledge that we don't like it when people are different. Father, would you also help us to realize that that's actually not very important, what pleases us. What we really want is what pleases you. And thank you for making that clear for us in this passage. We ask, Father, that you would grant us a discernment to see what actually fits into this gray area that you have designed and allowed such differences. And Father, help us to welcome each other. Help us to accept each other as they are, as we are, knowing we all have the ambition of becoming more like Christ. But in the meantime, that we are acceptable to you, therefore must be acceptable to each other. Father, we long for this victory. We ask for your grace, for Jesus' sake. Amen.